This episode of the Upper Discussion Podcast is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Launched in Kelowna, BC, and now expanding to Montreal, Whiskey Lane is on a mission to share their obsession with quality food and drinks with growing audiences by keeping the best local flavors on their minds and on their tongues. No matter what your business needs to grow, Whiskey Lane knows how to make it happen. Whiskey Lane, bringing long lines to the producers of specialty food and drinks. Go to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And that's whiskey, the Canadian way, without an E. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to episode 299 of Up for Discussion, a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Every week, we tackle a different ingredient, dish, or style of cuisine, sharing our favorite recipes and learning from our wonderful guests. Today, we are talking all about food security and food insecurity, uh, which is a bit of a different kind of approach to food than we usually take, but I think it will be a really important and interesting conversation, uh, especially going into the holiday season when uh, people feel those things a lot more than they usually feel them. Uh, But before we dig into that, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. Uh, I know that, you know, a lot of, uh, frankly, a lot of indigenous people in North America experience food insecurity because of the systemic bullshit that the white people put them through. So, you know, maybe worth looking into how you can help your local indigenous tribes uh, not have as much trouble with food right now. You know, maybe it's in the form of donations to shelters. Maybe it's in the form of, you know, helping out with agriculture in some way. Maybe it's in the form of uh, pushing for legislation that uh, calls for the government to treat them better, because frankly, the government should treat them better. Whatever it may be, uh, you can find resources for that all over the internet. I encourage you to do some Googling. It really isn't hard. So with that in mind, I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities thereof. Now, put simply, food security is a term that refers to the availability and accessibility of food. And food insecurity is, of course, the lack of availability and accessibility to food. Pretty pretty straightforward, right? In Canada, about one in eight households experience food insecurity on a regular basis, and in the United States, it's not that much better at one in ten. For the vast majority of people living this way, it's a direct result of financial struggles, of poverty. And that sucks a lot, because frankly, there are plenty of people in this continent who have more than enough money in their bank accounts to single-handedly end poverty, and they just choose not to do that because it's more fun to be rich, and they're assholes. Plain and simple. So, you know, short of hoping that guys like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk suddenly decide to stop being assholes and start being philanthropists, we need to look at other options to help reduce the economic disparity that leads to food insecurity. And, you know, to end the stigma around poverty and hunger, so that the people who are struggling because of a system that forces them to struggle can have an easier time knowing that they're loved, that we are loved, I am one of them, frankly, and that our value doesn't come from how rich or poor we are. 
So yeah, my goal today is to explore that idea a little bit. The idea that talking about these things helps to destigmatize them, and also to explore ways that we can combat that on a local level. So in light of that, I've got two very cool guests signed up for this episode. First, I'm talking to Megan Bridget from The Vintage Kitchen. Megan grew up food insecure and has a lot of personal experience with stretching a grocery budget, and I think you're going to get a lot out of listening to her story. In the second half of the show, I'll be talking to Kim Fox. Kim is the director of programming for the Depot Community Food Center. If that name sounds familiar, it's because I've been a big fan of theirs and a patron of theirs for a while now and have mentioned them several times on the show. (laughs) For a refresher, the Depot is my local food bank and community initiative. Their center, massively run by volunteers, serves tons of people fresh and frozen meals, provides emergency food baskets with lots of high-quality nutritional and tasty pantry staples, and runs all kinds of cool activities and programs throughout the year even during the pandemic. So we're going to hear from Kim all about the great work they're doing in the second half of the show. But I wanted to let you know up front that for the rest of November and for the whole month of December, I will be donating $2 to The Depot for every new rating and review that the show gets on Apple Podcasts. Um, They are also, it's worth noting, able to stretch those dollars like two or three times their usual value in the way that they like buy all their stuff and they're really thoughtful about it. So it's, it's a big donation and you can help make that happen by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Obviously, that also helps this show to grow, so it's a win-win for everybody, and it only takes, like, two minutes. If you've already left a review, maybe ask a friend to do it instead. Let's make a difference here together. All right, let's get into it. So, uh, the first person joining me on this week's episode of Up for Discussion is Megan Bridget. Megan is uh, the owner and operator of a business called The Vintage Kitchen, and uh, grew up food insecure and has a lot of thoughts and feelings about today's topic. So, Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, So, first things first, uh, I would love for you to tell myself and my listeners about The Vintage Kitchen and about the stuff that you do. Yeah, it's really cool. So, a few years ago, I started this business in earnest. Um, I really love all things vintage, as you've probably seen from my Instagram. Uh, I pretty much live my life in the style of the 40s and 50s. Um, just always thought that I was, I mean, belonged in that time period more than the one now, um, which is odd, I feel like, for most people my age. But, but yeah, so I do food in that style, right? So lots of um, freshness and fruits and veggies and not so much meat just because we didn't have access to that in the the 40s during World War II. Um, Victory gardens, all that kind of stuff and bringing history back through food is kind of what I like to do. I love that. I love the idea of looking at sort of a historical period and trying to figure out how to recreate the food from that. I was um, I recently watched the American Barbecue Showdown and uh, oh, yeah. they had an episode of that where they like challenged them to work specifically with ingredients from like pre-colonial times and also with ingredients from like the antebellum period. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's really funny. interesting to like take a look at those sort of periods of time and like try to try to put yourself in that mindset by by using the same ingredients and methods available so that's really cool yeah i like to dispel some myths we weren't all eating spam (laughs) (laughs) like spam was available but it wasn't like the only thing available right it wasn't no it's cool mostly what um that's kind of like where block parties came from in a lot of ways victory gardens were um in World War One, for sure, but World War Two is where they really picked up because um, our government didn't necessarily want to pay for us to eat, and so they put out propaganda. I know it's kind of a dirty word right now, but <laughs> propaganda um, to get us to grow our own food and to share it with each other and kind of feed each other. And that's that's kind of been my mission in the Vintage Kitchen is to you know make your tummy happy and 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 feed each other. Yeah, well, I love that. I I think that there is, it's funny because like, yeah, it came from the government's greediness, right? But it also did sort of 
have that side effect of like strengthening communities a little bit, uh, which is yeah. not to say that, you know, governments should, you know, deprive their citizens of, of you know, basic human rights. But it is nice right. to see those citizens kind of rise above that anyway and, and find some kind of, you know, beautiful thing in it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you used a phrase there, make my tummy happy or make your tummy happy. Uh, and yeah. I know that you have, um, like I said in the like brief intro that I gave you, you have a background in food insecurity. You grew up food insecure, um, which like is a weird phrase to say, but I'm trying to say it more and more because it's, it's a real thing, you know? Um, so do you want to kind of tell us how that like how that phrase make your tummy happy links to that yeah for sure so I um, my parents were divorced when I was young and I split my time between my mom and my dad's house my mom's house was a little bit more stable than my father's house um, and so whenever I and my brother were with our dad um, it was a little bit less secure in a lot of respects but mm-hmm. most of all food um, sometimes you know, eating at school would be our only meal. Um, sometimes we would go to our grandma's house and get a snack, but that would be pretty much it for the day mm-hmm. a lot of times. Um, and I remember distinctly one night, my brother and I um, lived in a one bedroom apartment with our dad and he slept on a fold out couch in the living room. And my brother and I slept in bunk beds on um, in the one bedroom. And I remember waking up one night and he was crying and I was like okay my brother's name is James and I said you know what's wrong I must have been 12 or 11 and he would have been eight or nine Mm -hmm. and um, he was like well you know I I don't feel well my stomach hurts because I didn't eat today we didn't have any um, you know we didn't have any lunch money for school that day and I was like all right let me see what I can you know rustle up I guess so I went to the pantry and I went to the refrigerator and all I could find was kind of a moldy loaf of bread and condiments in the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. So I cut off the mold on the bread. I put some mayo on it, got him a big glass of water. And I just said, you know, this isn't, you know, anything great, but at least it'll make your tummy happy. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where my catchphrase came from. It's on all my logo, all my all my stuff it's just kind of a reminder of you know where where I came from no matter where I go right yeah for so sure that's kind of where that phrase specifically came from mm. and that's not a story that I share very often and I I try to share it more because everything I feel like growing up we were sort of told to be ashamed about it or right. kind of you know what happens at home stays at home and you don't talk about it and it's just kind of the way you live and you deal with it you know mm. what I mean And I feel like I felt really lonely. I felt like I was the only person dealing with that, you know, and I, I wasn't. Um, Right. So to be open about it is it gets other people talking. Yeah, totally. No, that's it. I I think, um, and we're going to, you know, touch on that a lot in this episode, but there, the reality is a lot of people grew up in, you know, situations like that. Maybe not specifically, you know, I don't know how many people have that exact story, obviously, but like. I know I grew up fairly poor for most of my childhood. It wasn't until, you know, I, I think when I was in high school, maybe my mom and her boyfriend were both working. So like things got a little bit smoother for us at that point. But like, you know, obviously yeah. there were still struggles, but I remember being a kid and there not being a ton of food in the house or, you know, we had, we had kind of, 
minimal things that we could go to. And I mean, heck, I, I don't always have a ton of money for food now as an adult. And, <laughs> you know, we, yeah. we go through periods of, of highs and lows. And I think the reality for a lot of people is that, you know, money is not easy and food is you know not free right (laughs) so like right and I think that it's not something to be ashamed of because like nobody chooses to be poor you know no nobody chooses to have not enough to get by Uh, we get put in situations where we don't have enough to get by by you know large systems that are in place to make the rich richer right so Yeah. yeah so I think I think you know sharing your story is a good way to help destigmatize that it's a good way to like tell people like look you're not alone you're not the only one facing this it's nothing to be ashamed of let's talk about it and let's fix it together right and how to how can you you know you get help or how can i help you right right because we are all in this together i'd like to I'd like to think that, even though it's kind of again that's sort of a buzzword now, but sure. <laughs> we're all we're all trying to do our best to to just live our lives. Yeah, I mean, something can be a cliche and still be true. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about you know what are some some ways to you know beyond massive systemic change that's you know worth fighting for but not necessarily realistic to expect what are some ways to to combat food insecurity well so here's the thing um there are a lot of different ways to come at it but not always work for all people okay so some people are i feel like a little bit too proud to ask for help okay so if you need help or if you need you know going to your local food banks i know I'm in Wisconsin and I can't remember where you are, but um, going to your county website and finding where those food banks are or, you know, talk to your employer if that's your HR can, you know, point you in the right direction Um, because those people are just wonderful resources. I know here in in La Crosse, Wisconsin, where I'm I'm out of, we have an incredible food pantry and bank system Mm -hmm. um, throughout the county where you know, people can go and get what they need and not feel like they are, you know, being judged or, or any of those things. I think the biggest thing to remember is that those people are there to help. Right. I mean, they wouldn't be there if they didn't want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that's the biggest, I feel like that's the biggest hurdle for a lot of people is that humbling of yourself, but it's not even to me. I hate that term because you're not humbling yourself. It's just, Hey, I need help down the line I get to pay it forward you right. know what I mean nobody yeah. should have to feel like they are a burden because they are asking for help totally I love that yeah I think about that a lot because I um so I'm in Montreal to answer your question and uh oh. you know obviously the the situation in Canada is different from the situation in the U.S. um yeah, generally <laughs> like there you know there there is still a lot of poverty there's still a lot of people in Canada who don't have enough money to feed themselves we do kind of generally have slightly better social service programs so like i i think that number is lower (laughs) um but but you know it's still an it's still a very present reality here um and yeah in montreal certainly i mean even in my neighborhood we have a like very good food bank that i actually am you know not ashamed to say we benefit from we we have a membership with them and when things are hard for us we go and we you know get a basket of free food and we don't 
need that all the time. And that's a, that's another thing that's actually maybe worth mentioning is that you might not, you know, feel like you, it's weird to say deserve to, right. to you know, get stuff from the food bank, but like right. they're not, most food banks are not actually going to like check your no, bank records, you know, they're, right. they're there for the people who need them. And if you're in a situation where you need it, it doesn't matter if you wouldn't have needed it three weeks ago. If you need right. it now, you need it now. Right. And I think that it can be, it can be really hard for people who aren't constantly broke to like right. acknowledge that they're temporarily broke and need help. Um, so I want to encourage people who are listening who maybe like, I don't know if you're like me and do a lot of freelance work. Maybe you have some periods where you're like, oh, I made like tons of money this month and other periods where you're like, I'm eating craft dinner again. And like, if you're in that situation, like go to your local food bank. That's what they're there for. They're there to help you. Well, and also I think it's important to go when you don't need it. Right. Sure. I mean, you don't maybe not get food obviously, but like go and meet the people that work there and become you know friends or at least acquaintances because you might not have food insecurity but somebody you know 100 percent does yep. there's just no if ands or buts about it yeah and actually uh, i would even say even when you do like even when you don't necessarily need like handouts um you should still take them if you think you'll need them in a month partly for yeah. planning and partly because a lot of uh, a lot of food banks get some kind of funding, be it from donors or from grants from government programs. And every, you know, they write down how many people come in and how much stuff they need. And so, like, yeah. if you're going in and getting stuff, that's one extra person that they are potentially getting funding for, right? So if you want to help your local food bank stay alive, it actually benefits them to have you there. Well, and the other thing, too, I think about, you know, um, when people donate. So let's look at the mm -hmm. converse side. Sure. When you donate, don't necessarily go in your pantry and find the oldest can of beans that you can. Mm -hmm. Go to the store and get something that you would want to eat because yeah. that's another thing that can get really muddy when you use the food bank system. It's that, um, or any sort of charity is it, it dehumanizes you in a way because you feel less than for having to ask for help mm -hmm. and then to be given a can of expired, you know, bushes baked beans right. that lowers your esteem even more. Totally. Yeah. And there needs to be a little bit of dig not there not needs to be. There needs to be dignity there. Yeah, absolutely. I know um I, I don't know if this is true across all food banks. I know that ours has some kind of system set up where for every dollar that they get in donations, they're able to buy the equivalent of like three dollars worth of food. So they actually encourage people to donate money instead of like canned goods and stuff. Um so they're able to then buy better things than what might you know, be given to them in the donation. Um, so I would also say that if you are someone who has a little extra income, even if it's just a few dollars a month, that could make a huge difference for them. And, you know, mm -hmm. if, it, if it doesn't make a huge difference for you, it's worth giving to them. But if it would yeah. make a huge difference for you, it's maybe worth getting from them. <laughs> that That's the yeah. thing, like, I think people forget that, like, you know, a bank is for everyone, right? Rich people use banks mm -hmm. and poor people use banks you yes. put in what you have and you get out when you need it and i think that people forget that about food banks i think people look at them and they say that's only for the people who you know need it that's only for the people who want to take stuff out and i'm not going to you know need to put anything in there or i'm not going to need to take anything out and i think that you need to you know people need to remember that like 
no, that's not how banks work. <laughs> banks work by everybody puts in what they got, what they what they can put into it, and you take out from it when you need to. Absolutely. Nope, I agree. And then that also might, you know, help that stigma as well. Like if you know, oh, well, you know, I I gave and, and now I'm in a problem area or spot, I can go and, and take advantage of this and I don't feel as bad. I think, mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know, I guess in America, I feel like there's like a lot of pride. Sure. And I think that it's that's a huge thing for us as well. So maybe instead of looking at, you know, if you if you are food insecure and going to food banks is not your bag or you don't want to, you know, there are ways to stretch your budget as far as your grocery bill goes, mm-hmm. you know. One thing that I like to do is, I know meat's really expensive right now, at least for us here in America because of the pandemic. Right. Um, so, you know, um, subsidizing your diet with a lot of like dried beans and lentils and those kinds of things and kind of because these are really inexpensive options yeah um to play around with and they're very filling and hearty and they have that same like toothness <laughs> as meat does you know what i mean yeah. so you can get I mean, obviously it doesn't taste like meat but no um, but you can the the thing is like look i'm i'm not someone who will forego meat as a choice you know like I'm a very big meat eater but I will say like on nights when I don't have any meat in the house I'm usually fine to have you know beans or pasta or something because I can put enough into it flavor wise to like get over the fact that I'm not eating meat you know right well so if you are a big meat eater here's what I suggest so Mm. let's say you get a you know a package of chicken breast right and it's yeah I mean it's pretty mundane whatever but zhuzh it up, as we say. Um, <laughs> you know, cut it in, cut it in half, like open butterfly it, like a book. Right? We've all seen Food Network, and we all know what these <laughs> simple terms. And if you don't, I encourage you to like learn knife skills and learn these things. It's easy and simple, and it'll make your life so much easier. But you know, butterflying that chicken so that it's open like a book, and putting in, you know, asparagus or Asiago cheese and kind of making it more of a well-rounded experience because I find that if I just ate a chicken breast, I can kill one in a second. But sure. if I put stuff in it, it, I have to cut it in half and save it for later. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. You you can stretch ingredients a long way. I um I had a conversation with someone recently on the show. Um, we, we did an episode on soup, right? And how soup is kind of a really great way to take whatever ingredients you have and stretch them that much further, really just by adding water, which like most people have access to. Granted, not everybody has access to clean water, but like most people have access to water in some form, whether you need to clean it or not. Um, and you can make soup, make soup stretch the ingredient that much further, right? A chicken breast cut up and put into a soup makes like Mm -hmm. five six times as many servings as a chicken breast that you throw on the grill and serve up with asparagus right one of my favorite um quotes from the depression is about that and i don't know if you're familiar with this but i'm an old lady so i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna grab some knowledge but one of my favorite quotes is you can always add more water to the soup right and that means there's always room for one more at your table yeah i love that which i think is really cool yeah me too yeah yeah um Another thing I like to do is, you know, I always budget a little bit for an extra ingredient to fill my pantry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you might start off with nothing in your pantry, but, you know, after a couple of months, you could have a fully stocked one so that if push comes to shove, 
you know, I had the flu a couple of weeks ago um, and I didn't really want to leave the house. And right. I was able to, because I had, you know, over time stocked up on ingredients, I was able to make a bunch of different things without having to, to go anywhere, mm-hmm. which is nice because you're also supplementing your your weekly meal. I am um, a big proponent of coming up with what you're going to eat throughout the week on the weekend. Mm. I know it sounds really boring and mundane, but do as restaurants do. As we all know, <laughs> if you go to a restaurant and you see all of these dishes, most of them are very similar because they're using the same ingredients so that they can cut food costs. Mm-hmm. It's much more expensive to have a wide array of food item options than it is to have four or five that use the same ingredients but in different reincarnations. Right. Yeah, you could you could definitely eat beans and rice five days in a row and have it taste entirely different every single night if you know how to use your herbs and spices. Yeah, and so I encourage anybody out there who is in that situation, follow some of your favorite chefs or celebrity chefs or whatever. And especially like, I personally like Jamie Oliver because sure. he does that five ingredient fix. You can go on his website or go online and just kind of look it up and it's not daunting at all. (laughs) It's very inexpensive food, but it's beautiful and delicious and good for you. I encourage people to follow somebody that they get along with and, um, and learn how to cook things in that way. Yeah, totally. That was good money too. Yeah. It's funny. I, I totally get that. I think that the, a thing that is making me a better cook gradually is watching a ton of cooking shows, honestly, because I I watch something like Guy's Grocery Games, where I think that show is brilliant, because a lot of the challenges are sort of cooking on a budget, right? And granted, these are professional chefs a lot of the time, but they're chefs who are cooking, you know, Guy will say you've got $16 for all three rounds of the competition, right? And so you have to stretch that money a long way. You have to buy ingredients that are a little bit cheaper. You have to really budget things out. And you watch shows like this and you start to get a sense after a little while of like, you know, what you might do in that kind of situation. And so I would actually, honestly, if you are someone who is food insecure, is having trouble kind of budgeting enough toward groceries to make a satisfying meal, (laughs) I would say maybe watch Guy's Grocery Games and pick up a few tips from the like budget battle episodes, because honestly, like you can stretch that a long way if you don't live in a food desert and if you have access to, you know, a grocery store, obviously there's circumstances for sure. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. That's a great idea. I actually, I love guys grocery games. It's, it's so fun and yeah, it's definitely accessible. I feel. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Do you have any sort of final thoughts on this topic before we start to wrap things up? Yeah. I mean, just as somebody who's on the other side of that, you know, when I was younger, I'm not saying that it won't happen to me in the future, but just be okay with not being okay. And and just, I guess, and this is not maybe about food insecurity, but just love. Just everything you do, do it with love. And yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I don't know. That's Food to me is love, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I make a meal for someone or I cook for someone or if somebody has a baby and I bring them something that they think is delicious, it that's how I show them that I care about them. Right. So yeah, that's, I just, yeah, do it with love. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, uh, to kind of like bounce off that, I I think that my relationship with my own like food related budgetary problems over the years, uh, I think that it was made better by realizing at some point that like 
and I think you mentioned this earlier, like if somebody helps you out with, you know, if someone buys you lunch one day, for instance, and says like, don't worry about it, you can get me back another time, right? I had people do that for me so many times in my life. I honestly, a couple weeks ago, I was in a spot where I couldn't afford to buy groceries because I was in between like payments and was like, well, I'm just, uh, we're going to be eating a lot of beans the next couple of days. And we had a stocked pantry. It wasn't even a situation where I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. It was just, I'm like, I was venting to a friend about how annoyed I was about like being in that window between paychecks, you know? And that friend just, he transferred me some money for groceries and was like, you can get me back when you've got it. And I was like, that's amazing. And, and being in situations like that, you know, it happens to you once or twice and it starts to become something that is normalized for you, right? So I want to encourage people to normalize that. Normalize buying your friend lunch when they can't afford to you and telling them not to worry about how soon they pay you back, you know? Normalize loaning your friends a little bit of money with no interest and no, you know, due date. Just normalize being generous and trusting that your friends are not, like, you know, <laughs> mooching off you, right? It It's... Nobody nobody really wants to mooch off people absolutely yeah oh i like that yeah i i think that the more the more you if you are someone who can afford to do things like that i think the more you do it the the better it kind of makes the culture around you you know yeah absolutely i totally agree with that cool well megan thank you so much this was really fun i uh, i will definitely have to get you back at some point to talk more about stuff because I, I think that <laughs> i mean obviously we're just kind of scratching the surface here but we're running out of time yeah absolutely i would love to come back so yeah before we wrap up uh, i want to give you a chance to plug anything that you want people to find and i will make sure to include links to everything that you mentioned in the description for ease of access for people Sure. Well, I am on Instagram as The Vintage Kitchen LLC and the same as Facebook. And my name is Megan Bridget on Facebook. If you want to find me, I'm from Wisconsin um, in the United States of America. So you might have to do a little bit of digging for me. <laughs> Go Packers. Nope. I'm a Bears fan. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but that starts up, But I love cheese. It just starts a whole other, a whole other discussion for a whole other day. <laughs> That's it. I'll, I'll bring you in for a cheese episode. Not to like, you know, not to pigeonhole you as the only person I know in Wisconsin, but, but we're just locking that in. That's going to happen. I love it. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. All right, if you're enjoying this episode so far, I'd like to invite you to consider supporting our show on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform that lets creators like me work directly with their audiences, like you, to make the content even better. Basically, you can pledge as little as a dollar a month in support, and you get access to all kinds of awesome perks, early access to episodes, and so much more. Also, just a casual reminder here in the middle of this episode, I would like to reiterate my own pledge <laughs> that for the rest of November and all of December, I'll be donating $2 to the depot for every new rating and review that comes through on Apple Podcasts. So go leave a rating and review. It takes two minutes and it's going to make a huge difference. The other thing I want to mention here in the middle of the episode is that obviously, uh, if you can count, you know that this is episode 299 and that next week, therefore, is episode 300. This is a pretty huge milestone for me and I'm really, really excited. And uh, I'm going to be celebrating by bringing in a couple of special guests, uh, but I wanted to also let you know about a cool opportunity that I'm going to have on the show going forward. Basically, a thing that I want to start doing, I guess from episode 301 onward, is having a segment on the show where I just answer your questions 
directly. Uh, so just solo me answering questions for you about food. So if there is an ingredient that you are trying to use and you want some advice about how to use it, or if you're looking for good takeout options in Montreal, or literally any other kind of question, especially food questions, please feel free to send them in to me. You can send them by email to upfordpodcast@gmail.com or tweet at us at downwithtalking on Twitter. Leave a comment on an episode. Honestly, there are so many ways to reach me. You know how to do it. Uh, you can also click links in the description of this episode to find more about that. But yeah, basically, I'm going to start adding a segment to the show where I just answer your questions directly. And this is open to everybody. You don't have to be a patron to do this. You can request topics for episodes of the show as a patron, but you can ask me questions to answer during that segment for free anytime. So feel free to do that. Maybe leave your question in an Apple podcast review, and then you'll have killed two birds with one stone and donated $2 with one review. You know what I mean. All right, on with the show. All right, next up on the show, I'm talking to Kim Fox. Kim is the Director of Programming for the Depot Community Food Center. Uh, I have mentioned the Depot before here on the show uh, as my local food bank. Uh, They do wonderful things in our neighborhood. And so I thought it would be a good idea for this episode about food security and food insecurity to talk to someone who is kind of a frontline worker in that world about some of the resources that, uh, that they provide for people who are in need. So Kim, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So, yeah, uh, I I guess let's just get into it. Can you tell me about some of the uh, programming that you guys offer at the Depot? Yeah, so the Depot actually offers over 20 um, different programs. They're all programs that kind of um, use food as a tool to um, address uh, issues of food insecurity in our community and some of the um, other issues that come up. Um, for people who we know are living with uh, food insecurity. And we know that that's obviously um, um, something that comes from um, not having enough income. So uh, we run over 20 programs. Um, We run things like uh, collective gardens, uh, community kitchens, a vast array of community kitchens that kind of serve all um, age groups. Um, some different demographics. We do after-school cooking and nutrition programs for kids uh, and teens. We run uh, drop-in meal programs. We run um, a food basket basket program, which is a free emergency food basket program. Subsidized fresh food markets um, three times a week uh, during the summer months. We're actually starting to do them in the winter as well. And a variety of uh, resource activities um, that uh, generally uh, aim to connect people with more resources in the community, supportive resources. It could be legal work, it could be um, medical support, it could be um, connection to other organizations. Um, and then we, we run some advocacy groups, so getting people together about uh, to talk about issues that are affecting them um, day to day and what we can do as a community to kind of address some of those issues or to bring them up with um, local uh, powers that be. I love that. I I love the idea of taking kind of a holistic approach to food security, right? Because I think that it it's one thing to just say like, okay, people need food, let's give them food, which like, you know, on a base level is important. And like, it is good to provide that. But I think that what you guys do that's really special is that it is so all encompassing, right? From from all the workshops that, you know, teach a man to fish and elite for a lifetime or whatever to all of the yeah like you were saying all the sort of social service workshops where I mean I know 
so my family benefits from benefits from is a weird way to put that but it's true we um, we participate in your food basket program we we collect food baskets from you guys every once in a while because our household income kind of fluctuates by virtue of me doing a lot of freelance work right Uh, so when things are hard for us we get a basket from you guys and it's amazing and I know that obviously during COVID I haven't been by in person but when I used to come by in person I would see people coming in to talk to people on your team about finding housing I would I would see people coming in to help with all sorts of like legal paperwork things and it was just so amazing to see this kind of community resource that acknowledges like yes food is a big part of what people need to get by but there's there's more at the root of that than just hunger, you know? Oh, very much so. The At the root of it uh, is poverty. Right. Um, and sort of a, a lack of access to um, support, the supports needed to live a, a healthy life. So, yeah, we do kind of address address it holistically. We, we talk a lot about um, offering different points of access. So giving thinking about the idea of social determinations, one's right to choose for themselves how they want to access, um, whether it's food or housing or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So we offer a bunch of different ways to get access to food, whether it's by participating in a program, which um, you know um, is educational, um, is social, um, et cetera, or coming to a market that's subsidized, getting a free basket. So it's not just it's not just uh, kind of one method where someone's coming to ask for help. Um, participating is a is a really, I guess, a more positive spin on on looking at accessing extra support. Um, we also look at um, kind of building skills um, and confidence. Mm-hmm. around healthy eating. So um, really talking with people about, you know, systemic issues uh, involved with food, about nutrition, about what it means to, to eat healthy, and then and then um, supplying kind of t- tips, tools, capacities that would allow people to make uh, healthier choices and to do so um, on a budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is, is kind of building up social support. So we know that people who are living in poverty have way less access to activities outside of the home, um, to clubs, to participating just socially. Um, well, before COVID, I guess, going out and you know meeting a friend at a cafe, you know, very th- things that, that some of us really take for granted. A lot of people um, don't even have, have access to some of those things. So offering a space where people can gather, share, um, share a conversation, share ideas, share a meal, um, really, we think destigmatizes a bit um, food access uh, yeah. for people who need it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it. I think I think when you're when you're poor, when you're when you're having trouble financially, whatever your situation is, it can be super isolating, right? Partly because we live in you know a, a kind of capitalist society that tells us that our money is our value, but also partly because a lot of things that are fun to do with people cost money right like there there is a certain reality to like a cost of living where even you know if you have friends who live in other neighborhoods even if you get together to do something free with them there's the cost of traveling to that place there's the cost of missed work hours you know if you're somebody who gets paid by the hour 
theoretically for I mean like like let's let's say in my situation right I do a lot of freelance work and so any time that I take off of doing work is time that I'm not making money right so there's that kind of opportunity cost as well and that's just kind of the reality of it is that like you you do sort of end up being limited socially by poverty which is a bummer and so it's really cool that you guys are acknowledging that and saying like okay how can we build this into a community space that does more than just provide for people's base needs but actually like kind of provides for like really everything like it's more than just we're going to help you stay alive it's we're going to help you thrive exactly that's actually very well said i like the way you just said that um but really really bring people together um with with this idea of resilience and and adding strength to our community because we think that you know food insecurity is a really a problem of the entire community it's mm-hmm. not only a problem of the community who's facing it right um so um we like to make our program our programs open accessible and visible to the entire community to offer kind of alternative solutions um to the problem let's get together let's grow more food let's talk about demanding um um, better systems, healthier food, um, equal opportunity, equal wages, things like that, and then offering offering the proper education to our, our community yeah. um, in order to be able to access some of those things. And then even just offering, offering friendship and support. Um, people can feel super alone, whether uh, food insecure or otherwise in our kind of current society. Um, so offering a place where people feel welcome and accepted um, goes a long way in in strengthening the community. Also in, in inviting people who are um, receiving resources to come and participate as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're really still a volunteer-driven organization. Um, we have, uh, on non-COVID years, we have many, many upwards of usually between 900 and 1,000 volunteers in a given year. Wow. Um, helping run our programs. Yeah, we're quite busy. So, um um, it also offers offers the opportunity to kind of give back, to get involved, um, and to participate in the change that's happening. Yeah, I love that. I, I think it really speaks to the sort of community angle of it that there are so many people volunteering, right? Because I know I've I've volunteered with shelters and and with food soup kitchens in the past, and I've often felt like there is a real need for more people, you know, more hands on deck. Um, so it's really encouraging for me to hear that on a community level at the very least it sounds like i mean 900 to 1000 people a year sounds like you guys are doing pretty okay in terms of you know manpower obviously the more the merrier but it sounds like you're not like hurting for it and that's awesome no not at this point we have a an amazing community who does really want to get involved uh, and give back in a number of ways uh, volunteering is only one way of of getting involved and giving back um there are, there are so many others um, but volunteering is really a way to participate. So if people are interested in learning more about the reasons why we do the work we do um, and how we do it, it's a really good opportunity to get involved and meet other like-minded folks or non-like-minded folks and, and, and be able to talk about those things <laughs> right. um, while you make food, while you eat food, which is, which is kind of very cool in these kind of safe settings to be able to exchange um, another thing about the depot is that it's really drawing people from all different uh, life experiences, different mm-hmm. backgrounds, new arrivals to Canada, old people, young people. Yeah. And it's this really amazing space um, 
for exchange in the community. Yeah, well, that's something I think is really interesting about our neighborhood. So, so you know, we're based in NDG, which is a neighborhood in Montreal that's like historically fairly Anglophone, but like pretty bilingual, really. And like thinking about it, I know I know our neighborhood and my experience living here for you know the past twenty-ish years. It's it's a pretty diverse neighborhood, but you don't necessarily see that diversity socially as much. Like you see it on the street, you see it in stores, but you don't necessarily see it in like where people end up gathering. Um, but I think that there's something really nice about like yeah, every time that I've been to the depot in person, it feels a lot more like what I think our neighborhood looks like than any of the sort of social interactions that I have on a day-to-day basis. It really depends where you go in the community. Um, there there are some very wealthy areas, very poor areas, very diverse areas, very undiverse areas. Right. So it's it's really lovely to see places where though all of the people kind of interact, kind of come together. Yeah. Um, spaces. And I think a lot of our spaces kind of offer that. Our collective gardens are really diverse. Our um, our food markets are really diverse in terms of the people that they draw. Mm-hmm. Even our meal program, we have people stopping by all the time that, who think we're a restaurant coming by to eat. And, right. and we invite them in because what an opportunity to learn about a really interesting project going on in your neighborhood to yeah. learn about, you know, how people are um, are supporting each other and, and, as you said, thriving. Yeah. Well, that's it. And, and ultimately, like, that I think is what is most significant, I guess, in... What am I trying to say here? That's maybe one of the most effective tools in fighting the stigma around poverty and around food insecurity is gathering all of the people in the neighborhood. Like, I mean, especially like, yeah, like you said, our neighborhood has kind of a big gap in terms of like economic disparity, right? Like I I live in one of the more expensive parts of NDG but we are maybe one of the poorest families on our block and we just, you know, can live here because we got rent control and got a lease transfer from people who'd been here for a decade before that. Uh, like, you know, our, our, the unit that's identical to ours next door is like 500 a month more than our places. It's, wow. we shouldn't be able to live where we live, frankly, and we're really lucky. <laughs> and um, like our neighborhood, you know, goes from that kind of like high end of, of the price range to like, yeah, people who have like way less money than us and, and live in like, really small apartments and are just scraping by and it's like to to have a space where everybody can kind of get together and to sort of see that I think really makes a difference for both for the people who are struggling to see like okay we we are still part of this community we are all together in this I'm not alone here and also for the people who are struggling less to say like the people who are struggling here are not othered you know the people who the people who have less are not themselves less than the people who have more yeah totally agree it's really interesting because we it we really see a diverse um range of of need for our services as well so it could be someone who uh in in speaking about emergency food baskets Mm -hmm. it could be someone who has lost a job for a period of time or who has had to go on disability for a period of time maybe they come once maybe they come twice and then because we we inform them what the programs are for, they might decide not to come back, but they might find out about another one of our programs, which is really interesting to them. Say, for example, it's a nutrition a cooking program for their child, and they mm-hmm. might sign up for that. So they're still kind of connecting with the community. They know that it's there if they need it. And then there's some people who 
depend completely on our services. There are people who are living on um, on uh, social supports um, who just can't get by. I was speaking with a woman uh, recently who I think her income, it's with her retirement and some social supports. She makes, I think, $750 or something in, along those lines a month. Right. And she got into a subsidized housing unit and she's paying almost all of it I think $690 for her rent. Right. So it leaves her no money to live off of. So she's depending on food baskets. She's depending on our meal programs. She's depending on um, volunteering with us in order to be able to do something outside of her house to have some kind of social interaction outside of her house. Right. So there's really varying degrees of um, interaction with our programs. But the great thing is that if you... Um, connect with one program that you can easily connect with with more that's it yeah and 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 that's I think what what makes it such an effective resource right is that you have all these options and you have you know all these things where they're all useful and they're all like really cool and and fun a lot of them and like <laughs> we really tried to make it cool <laughs> our yeah. programs and i don't say that lightly i mean it very yeah. severely we worked very hard several years ago to create a vibe right. within our program somewhere that is comfortable that is welcoming that invites all kinds of different people to be themselves and enjoy and participate. Yeah. Well, um, I think you've done a good very job. Very intentional. It. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So we're we're starting to run out of time a little bit, but I do want. I have two more questions I want to ask you. So first off, sure. um, I'm curious about. You know, obviously we're in a pandemic, and I I try not to make this show all about the fact that we're in a pandemic, but it is part of our reality, and you know the way that things very are right so. now is is very different from how normal operations would be. What um what all are you guys still able to do during all of this? Because obviously a lot of the in person stuff had to be shut down temporarily. But what kind of yeah. uh, programming are you still offering? We are blessed to have this incredibly incredibly supportive and dedicated staff who is able to be flexible and adapt on a dime. So we, we started originally by shutting down all of our programming. Mm -hmm. um, and we took the time to focus on emergency food baskets. And something I didn't mention before um, is that we kind of have a strict healthy food policy that we've also um, kind of evolved into over the years, which which uses whole foods in all of our programs, mm -hmm. uh, prioritizes fresh foods, um, local when we can, organic when we can. So we decided to set up um, a home delivery program. Um, basically, we're offering baskets instead of twice a month, um, where people would come pick up an emergency basket, people would have access to a basket once per month that would be double and actually more than double the size of the original basket. Right. Um, so it would include um, a variety of dry goods, lentils, beans, uh, pasta, um, whole grains, brown and white rice, um, tomatoes, tuna, etc. Um, a fresh bag, which included uh, fresh fruits and vegetables for that week, and then a frozen bag where we have bread and um, uh, what ended up being meals, mm -hmm. um, frozen meals. So our basket program has been up and running very solidly. We saw a huge uptake at the beginning of COVID. Our numbers have since kind of plateaued and, and actually lowered in the past month. I don't anticipate it will last, but mm -hmm. um, 
And so we've been serving uh, a lot of these emergency food baskets. Um, eventually, we, uh, in order to do this, we were supported by the city. So we started out at the Doug Harvey Arena, and now we were at the Manoir, which is at DeCary, to pack these um, delivery bags. Right. We opened up our kitchen uh, midsummer. Okay. Um, to start producing um, frozen meals for these emergency food baskets. Right. Um, our meal program generally ran alongside the basket program and, and is meant to demonstrate what is possible to do with the goods that you're receiving in your bags right. um, and to offer, offer a healthy meal when people come visit us on site. Um, so now our chef has a team of volunteers and some youth workers with him um, regularly and he's producing meals. So um, that's great. It, yeah. it, it reassures us a bit that we're able to give um, prepared meals for people who are, are less able to cook and have less time. Mm -hmm. We uh, have some other programs running too. We've managed to get our um, after school program up and running. We had plans to do it um, in community centers mm -hmm. up until really up until the beginning of the school year when when um, they decided to shut down again. Mm -hmm. um, so now we have um, moved our workshops online. Okay. We're doing less less workshops, um, but we're working with the other boroughs. So our um, our kids program is called Bata Lunch, and it actually exists in five other neighborhoods um, in Montreal. Cool. Um, so those neighborhoods are working together to offer these online courses, and kids can sign up to um, whichever neighborhood suits their um, schedule. Um, so basically, we are um, getting kids to sign up. We'll send home. We'll either send to them or have their parents pick up recipe kits. So it'll have a recipe. It'll have all the ingredients. And then they tune in to an online session of a workshop to, to cook these with our facilitators. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's been really amazing. The kids are having a blast. Um, and it's been really well attended. We're doing that for um, our youth, our uh, grades four and five and teens. Okay, that's awesome. And those are available in English and French, I guess? Um, yep. Yeah, most of the Boite Lunch is in French, but okay. there is both English and French. Cool. Um, and, and all of our facilitators are bilingual, so um, there's always translation if we need it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and we also have, uh, so we had a, a lot of community kitchen programs. Um, we haven't been offering um, all the community community kitchen programs in the same way as the What to Lunch ones online. But what we're doing is assembling um, recipe kits of three recipes, all the ingredients home to some of our community kitchen participants. Um, they can make the recipes at home. And then there is a monthly call um, for participants to be able to talk about um, how their recipes went. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so that. it's less uh, it's less that they have to tune in en direct mm -hmm. uh, and more that they can they can talk about it after the fact. It's almost like um, a book club. It is like a book club <laughs> and it offers the option for people to call in because not everyone has the, the capabilities to log into like a Zoom sure, yeah. um, platform. So um, we try to make it as accessible as possible. We know that a lot of people that are coming to these community kitchens don't necessarily have access to internet. Right. We're also offering uh, some resiliency workshops. So we're doing some um, some meditation and some yoga. Um, we're talking a lot about um, personal resiliency. Um, the Social Justice Club is still meeting. Um, we were able to run all of our markets during the summer, which was really wonderful. We were so happy to be able to do that. So 
markets run three times a week in different um, areas of NDG. Um, that season just wrapped up in terms of its outdoor um, operations and we are bringing the markets inside. It'll be very different than um, a market that you come shop at. It's sure. really a market that um, you'll order online, um, different, different kind of basket options, and then you can pick up in one of three locations, whichever suits you throughout the week. That's amazing. And that'll all be that'll all be through the depot's website. You got it. Amazing. You got it. We're still working out the kinks, but it is coming. <laughs> That's awesome. It it's good to know yeah. because I think that yeah, in the winter especially in Montreal, I mean it's been like weirdly mild so far, but I I don't trust that that's going to continue to be the case. I think it's oh, going to. Oh no, you know... it's gonna it's gonna be very cold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can, We've just had we a weird November, sure. <laughs> but that's I think true. Uh, we had a great November. Yeah, and I, I think it can be really it can be difficult to get. Uh, I mean, no matter what your your financial situation is, grocery shopping is harder in the winter because either you're driving on the snow, which sucks, or you're walking through the snow, which sucks. And in Montreal, it's like, for any listeners who are not here, it's uh, you should Google our winter sometime. It's, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's really great that you guys have... Uh, have those those options available during the winter as well because I think uh, that's that's got to make a big difference for a lot of people. We hope so. We hope so. And it's really it's really affordable food for us. That's the big kicker. Accessibility mm-hmm. um, in term physical accessibility is important as well. But for us, uh, financial accessibility um, is our number one. So they're going to find prices that they wouldn't find elsewhere for yeah. fresh fruits and veg. I love that. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, I noticed that you guys posted on Instagram uh, maybe about a week ago that you're getting geared up for your annual fun drive. Um, so I would love to hear about that, uh, especially if there's any like direct action that my listeners can take uh, to help out with that. Great. Yeah. Um, we are definitely getting ready to start um, our annual fundraiser. Um, this year, we are definitely not taking any food donations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's way too difficult for us to be able to sort safely sort and redistribute um, food right now. And, mm-hmm. and we're using funds basically to purchase kind of standardized baskets. So we're really just doing fun drives. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this great little toolkit coming up which tells people how they can support us with funds. Um, so there's some interesting ways to get together with your friends, to set a fundraising goal, um, and you can donate to us through our Canada Helps account. Okay. If someone goes to Canada Helps, canadahelps.org, um, they can sign in and they're looking for the Depot Community Food Center. And then there's a bunch of different ways how they can, um, how they can uh, work with their friends in order to help us out. Awesome. I'm I'm going to make sure to include links to that and also to your website and kind of basically anything that we mentioned by name during this episode, I'm going to make sure is included in the episode description. Oh, thank you so much. So, uh, so don't worry about that. It, it, people Great. won't have to worry about finding it. I want to tell you, sorry, one more thing that I just forgot about, um, just because it just started. We're also trying to um, put together kind of an art project. Okay. So we launched it last week and we're asking people to submit. Um, it could be it could be words, it could be poetry, it could be photographs, um, short films, uh, artwork, whatever. I'm talking about their experiences during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so, so really an opportunity for our community members, whether it's volunteers, whether it's donors, whether it's participants, 
um, to kind of talk about their experiences and and we are going to be exposing what is what is submitted um, both online and in our windows just to kind of show that the community is still out there and to kind of exchange on our experiences and just to let us know that we're all out there experiencing similar things and that we're there for each other. So also you can check out our website for that or it should be on our Facebook um, page where you can submit to that. It's called Depot Expressions. I love that. I think there's there's something really cool about a big communal art project. I, uh, yeah. I used to do that with uh, a bunch of friends back in high school. We would have these like semi-regular art parties where we'd get like just a huge canvas and everybody would kind of throw whatever they were personally interested on onto it and then we'd like hang it up somewhere you know near a metro station or something and it would disappear within a day or two you know someone would take it down or throw it out or whatever but it was a fun way to sort of collaborate on something and and put it out there into the world it's super fun i really hope that people get involved um and that we can kind of amplify voices even if we're all at home yeah i love that and i think using the the windows of the of the depot as like a sort of gallery during a a pandemic is so smart because people are still going to be walking by there. Right. So it's like, exactly. You know, if people can't come in, they can still enjoy that. I think that's so cool. Well, Kim, thank you so much. This was awesome. This was really, it's, it's nice to hear about everything that you guys are doing and everything you're still doing and, and to kind of just get a sense of a little bit more what's going on in our community. So thank you again for, uh, for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Up for Discussion. I hope that this episode either enlightened you to the realities of food insecurity and some of the ways that food banks help people fight that, uh, or brought you some kind of comfort in dealing with your own financial struggles and food insecurity and poverty. Um, Know that you are not alone. Know that there is no shame in being poor and in having food insecurity as part of your life. And know that there are people out there who want to help with that. And uh, know that that is part of what being part of a larger community is about. It's it's about the people who are not struggling, helping the people who are struggling so that everybody can be better together. Um, so yeah, I hope this episode was helpful for you in that way. And uh, I would love to hear your stories. So feel free to tell me all about them on Twitter and Instagram at Down With Talking. If you like this episode and want to help make the show even better, again, you can head to patreon.com slash up for discussion to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall and Carlea, Thomas, George, Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Kate, Erica, and Chantal. Patrons of the show get access to our Discord server, the ability to request episodes of the show, early access to literally every episode, invites to exclusive dinner parties, and so much more. Again, that's at patreon.com slash up for discussion. We also have merch, and you can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at TeePublic, and you can hit the links in the description to see all of the stuff that Megan and Kim talked about on the episode today. And of course, you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, which I'll reiterate for the months of November and December. Every new review, I will donate $2 to the depot, so definitely consider doing that if you haven't already. You can also support us for free by sharing the episode with a friend. Our theme music is by Zach Ingalls, and our cover art is by David Flam. You can, and frankly should, find links to support both of them in the description of this episode, because they are both wonderful, lovely people. Last but not least, the show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalat, and I as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. you understand It just takes a little time It takes a little time
Multiverse theory, corgis, queer representation, reconciliation, angels, demons, squirrels, moose, moose and squirrels, sorcerers, dinosaurs, forests, giants, rogues, warlocks, planes, sewers, lavender, natural toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives, and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.